Got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll begin looking together in verse 31. If you would, bow with me in a word of prayer as we look to God's holy and inspired word. Father and our God, we come before your presence with thanksgiving. Lord, we really desire, Lord, to hear your voice. We want to hear you speak to us. Uh, Lord, we in and of ourselves, uh, Lord, are absolutely dependent upon you. We as a body are absolutely dependent upon you for all good things. Lord, we thank you that you choose to give good gifts to your children. We thank you for that word. We thank you for the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who we seek to honor. It is he who we seek to exalt. Your word tells us that if he be lifted up, that you would draw him in unto yourself. And Father, it's that we pray that's what happens this morning, that you would draw men and women, children to yourself, Lord, in a salvific way. Lord, not just in an emotional ascent that you we feel bad, but Lord, true repentance, true obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, true allegiance and love for him. Father, would you do that for your namesake? Thank you that you have chosen to use the foolishness of preaching to save some. Father, we love you this morning and we thank you. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as you heard Jared say, we continue with really just examining our mission statement. Uh, prayerfully, PowerPoint's going to work this, this morning. Uh, we shall, we shall see. Well, we're good so far. Um, our mission, why does Bethel exist? We exist to be a spirit-led. We talked about the spirit leading versus the flesh leading last week. God glorifying, we, we examined that. Uh, a community of maturing disciples going with Jesus in his ministry of reconciliation to the world. We exist to be a spirit-led, God-glorifying community of maturing disciples. Uh, not just individuals, but a community of believers going with Jesus in his ministry of reconciliation to the world. Uh, last week, we started this study here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, talking about this whole idea of living life all to the glory of God. That really will be our theme, if you will, this year, uh, that everything that's in our lives be brought under the Lordship of Christ. Uh, that we could truly say that no matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm eating in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm doing it to His glory. Well, why must we remind ourselves of that? Because there's a tendency in fallen humans and even redeemed human beings uh, the incurvitasse, uh, the, the turning inward, the looking inward to, to ourselves as opposed to looking upward or outward. And brothers and sisters, it's our goal and aim, I pray, as a church to truly be a church that doesn't exist for itself. Uh, this isn't, we don't want a country club, amen? We, we, we don't want a, a fort. Uh, you, you know, as a kid, you play a little fort, set up the pillows around and nobody can get in, keep those ugly siblings out, right? Is that just, just me? Okay, maybe. That's not what the church is. The church is a place that invites people to itself. Why? With, with, with one goal and one aim. To glorify, to glorify our God. So we want to seek this whole idea of living all to the glory of God. Last week we talked about a few ideas of this. I won't go through all of it. Um, a commitment to be God-centered. We see that if you've got your Bibles, let's look there in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever it is, Do all to the glory of God. And we say that we glorify God with a humble heart, a confessing heart, and a reverent heart. Well, this morning we want to move a little bit further in and look at point number two, a commitment to be other-centered, maturing, 
Go back there to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. He goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 11, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Well, where do we see the other-centered? When Paul's talking in verse 31 about getting glory, I made reference to this uh, last week, to giving glory to God in whatever we do, he is talking about in the context of, of a meal, in context of breaking of bread. And what's happening in the church, are there really two groups that we'll talk about here in a moment that are beginning to form? Uh, there's some that are, that are legalistic in how they eat, and some are licentious. They embrace the freedom that is found in Christ in their eating, and it's caused a riff. Now, I remind you of what Paul is talking about a lot in the book of Corinthians. He's talking about growing up in maturity. Uh, remember, early on in the book, what does he begin to, to explain to them? There are factions among you. I, I know we don't know anything about that, right? Uh, there are groups among you who are warring. Some are saying, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul, I'm of, I'm, I'm of someone else. And Paul's like, no, that is not what the church of Christ is to be. I, I would say, brothers, really throughout most of Paul's epistles, he starts off heavy doctrine. And if we could sum up what he says after the, in the other chapter, later chapters of a book, take Ephesians for, for example, heavy doctrine verse, or chapters one through three, four through six, it's orthopraxy. This is what you believe, now this is what you do. And throughout, even the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who that is, talks about this whole idea of maturing, of growing up. Paul says these words to the Corinthians, or excuse me, this is in Hebrews, we'll get that next verse in Corinthians in a moment. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Uh, if, if we deal with children, we can't expect children to discern good and evil. Man, just a few weeks ago, Christmas time, man, my little grandkids running around and, man, I got my toy. And, uh, man, if I heard my, don't touch my stuff, get off my, 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 my. Now, we as adults, we never do that stuff, Right. It's all about them. Why? Because they're infants. They can only look at themselves. But as you mature and grow, you realize, especially as a believer, it's not about me. It's about bringing glory to him. And how is God's glory most manifest? I want to share this with you because I think we have uh, unfortunately drank the Kool-Aid. Some would say the evidence of giving glory to God is how emotional one gets. Uh, you know, I can come in and say, oh, he's really worshiping the Lord. He's glorifying God because he's crying. Really? Judas went out and cried. Was that glorifying to God? David would say that true worship of God is not this emotional breaking. It's a contrite spirit. It's a reverent heart. God, you don't despise those, he says in Psalm 51. So when we think about glorifying God, it's really manifests itself in action. And primarily, brothers and sisters, especially, it, it's, it's very subjective to say, well, I'm glorifying God in all that I do. And the question we might want to ask is, well, how does that manifest? How do I know that? If it's not emotion, how is it? How I treat you. And Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just those who love you that you get to love. 
It's loving those who hate you. It's loving those you don't agree with will really test how well you're maturing, how well you're glorifying God. In this context, the Corinthians are fighting. They're not getting along. And Paul is saying you're not glorifying God. And the way you glorify God ought to manifest itself in growing up and loving one another. The same idea we see in Hebrews. Here's what he says even more, uh, I, I think, really, really clearly in, in, in the book of Corinthians. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me and I'll have you say that. Just, just, just a few verses I want to give you in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, I'll give you a moment to get there. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. Okay, G, JV folks have carnal, right? As to infants in Christ. Verse 2, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly, carnal. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Paul is here saying to the Corinthians, there's all this, these issues going on. Jealousy and strife. You're fleshly. You're carnal. You're not walking in the spirit. You're walking in the flesh. You're walking like mere fallen men. Why? Because you're babes. You're not mature yet. So a couple things we want to remind ourselves about. I pray to try to understand about maturity. Number one, we need to mature in our attitudes. Well, let's look at the text. I told you there were two groups here. What were their attitudes towards one another? Look at back at verse in chapter 10, um, back in verse 23. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but all things do not edify. Pay attention here to verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Let no one be concerned about themselves, Paul would be saying, but that of your neighbor. Now he's going to go into this, this teaching about food, which is an example of how we are to live. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all that it contains. If any unbeliever invites you and wants you to eat, any, eat anything that is sold for you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? What we see here is a group of believers who are struggling and not understanding how to love one another. How to truly care for one another. Paul says all things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. Because everything's the earth's. Everything on the earth is, is for, from God to his people. We, we can love one another, but it's going to be hard as we consider breaking bread. Why is this a big deal? Because we're talking about Jews and Gentiles. Now, what did Jews, what, you, I won't take you through all their dietary laws, but needless to say, did Jews enjoy a good BLT on occasion? No. Would a Gentile? Absolutely. Pork chops, fat back. Some of you ain't from down south. Okay. I would see salivation in your lips if that was the case. So you have these two groups of people coming together, and they're living together. And remember, we've talked about, especially in the book of Acts, how important was it when we broke bread together? What did that say about us? Hospitality was a lot different then than it is now. It means I'm accepting in your home. You're accepted in my home, but it said more than that. You're part of the family. We, we are one. We are united 
well, what if I come to your home and, and I offer you some chitlins? Now, some of y'all don't know what chitlins are. Thank you, Tyrone, for laughing with me. Pig intestines. And they smell so good. Not at all, if you've ever been around. And you've got a Gentile that offers that to a Jew. Paul is saying, you Jews are saying no. And, and in, a, in a culture like that, to be able to get meat, I mean, this I'm, I'm going out of my way for a Gentile to bring meat and I bring you into my home. And there's this group of legalistic people that say, no, I'm not going to eat that, offending the neighbor. See, here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to so glorify God that they're offending the neighbor. And Paul is saying, no, it's not like that. In order to glorify God, you honor your neighbor and eat whatever is set before you. Now, a Jew is hearing like, what do you mean? For the sake of unity, come outside yourself. Leave your legalism and embrace love. Embrace unity because God has created everything. Remember, the dietary laws are now gone. That's, that is no longer binding as, as Peter w- would see, as Paul would preach. Now the churches, at least the Jewish Christians, have to now embrace. So there's this idea of, of, you know, I'm tempting to glorify God, but I'm really not loving my neighbor. Then on the other side, you've got those who say, I've got complete freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want. I can eat anything. Then you'd have a person come and say, hey, this meat was offered to idols. What are you going to do with it? And the, liberty, the Christian who is exercising his or her liberty says, I can eat anything. And the person's like, no, how are you going to eat what's offered to idols? Now, if it's expressly said that this was offered to idols, Paul says, no, you refrain because that person's not going to understand what's happening. They're not, you're not truly glorifying God. Now, see the two different sides. One in attempting to glorify God says, I'm not going to eat with my neighbor. One, in in attempting to glorify man, I'm going to do whatever I need to to get around him. I'm not going to honor God. That's the battle. That I'm using my Christian liberty in such a way that it is not honoring to God. For the sake of that man's conscience. You guys hopefully have talked about this before. When Paul says, you know, I'm really concerned about am I being a stumbling block to someone? And if I'm legalistic, I can be a stumbling block. If I'm licentious, I can be a stumbling block. It's about the other person. Am I offending you and honoring God? They are both equal. How do I navigate that through life, through breaking of bread together? Whereas a couple things I want to suggest. We need to mature in our attitudes towards one another. We need to mature in what we think about one another. These Christians saw themselves in different areas. They were seeking their own good, not the good of their neighbor. It's not about us. It's about seeking the good of another and giving glory to God. Don't be children. We are to be righteous and loving and selfless. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks. Give give no offense to others. All humanity is to be brought under this banner, giving glory to God. But judgment must first begin in the in the house of God. That we've got to get ourselves right together. I'm wondering if the world looks at it and they read Christian posts and read and listen to Facebook posts about churches that are around. The, what are they assuming about us? Do they see unity? 
Do they see love? Do they see harmony? No, you know what they see? Church split after church split after church split after church split. And I wonder if they were sitting on the booth behind us after some services, what would they say about our church? As they listen in on, what was the word this month? What? That's happening in that church? Why would I want to go there if that's happening? That is to not mark us as believers. We are to be maturing and loving one another. And guess what is in every person, every pew that's here, every person that's here? Guess what you are? You're a sinner saved by God's grace. You're a sinner saved by God's grace. Will there be offenses in the church? Not in here. I speak as a foolish man. There will be offenses here. There will be sin here. But God has given us ways in Matthew 18 to be able to dialogue. And sin shouldn't separate us. It's ought to bring us together as we extend grace to one another. Paul is saying, you Corinthians are so wicked. We're going to talk about here at the end of the sermon. They even get it wrong when it comes to breaking of bread, communion. It, it, it goes south for them there. They, they completely miss the point of observing the body of Christ. So how do we maintain proper relationships? Well, we've got to have the right attitude. What is my attitude towards others? If you've got your Bibles, keep your finger there and go with me to Philippians chapter 2. As we can see, I think the PowerPoint hates me or something. There's a, a PowerPoint demon. Maybe it's Microsoft. I don't know. Philippians chapter 2, as we think about maturing in our attitudes. I wish I could take the time to go through. This is just a wonderful section of scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there's any, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. What's going to make you joyous, Paul, as you're writing from prison? Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Please underline this one in your Bible, at least I have mine. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as just as important as you are. Is that what it says? No. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Whoa. Do you see the brother or sister sitting beside you in the pew in front of you or behind you is more important than you? Is the person in your fellowship more important than you? Paul's saying it's not about you. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves. Talk about a pretty lofty standard. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. By the way, these aren't clever suggestions that Paul is making. These are imperatives. In other words, they're commands. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what was Christ Jesus' attitude like? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Kenosis. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he did what? He humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what's the attitude that we have this morning? Are are, are we truly trying to walk in and say, God, empty me from me 
Replace me with you and let others see me. Empty, empty David. And Lord, give me the, literally the mind of Christ that I would walk like he walked, like I would have this attitude in me regarding others, not of selfishness, not of an inordinate self-love, prompting and promoting of, of oneself for personal gratification. And it's about me being happy and it's about me being joyous. No, that's not my attitude. I'm not thinking of me at all and thinking of others as more highly than myself. That's my attitude. That's my thinking. And third, John 1, 9, John speaks of Diotrephes, who loves to be first. I've met some Diotrephes before in my life. You know where I most meet them at the most of the time? In my bathroom mirror. Me. I love me some me at times. I, I want to have it my own way and I have to fight and say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. God, it's not about me. It's about the others. But, but, but Lord, I'm tired. I deserve a rest. It's not about you, David. God, they should be listening to me. They don't know how long I prepare. It's not about you, David. They don't know how long I pray for. It's not about you, David. It's not about you. It's about me. It's about you being used of me to serve others. Church is going to be a thriving church, a church that Christ is proud of, a church that Christ loves. We've got to examine our behaviors before one another, our attitudes toward one another. Have this attitude in your mind that Christ Jesus has. It means you've got to be determined in your mind like, Lord, I, I truly have to walk in Romans 12. I've got to have my mind renewed. Oh, Lord, test me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And as that comes up in your hearts and in your minds, Lord, eradicate that from my thinking. Lord, give me the humility humility to accept correction. But I truly see and value others in love. So we need to mature in our attitude toward one another. If we're really going to grow in maturity and love for one another, we've got to look at each other differently. Secondly, we need to mature in our speech. Well, why do we, why do we need to mature in our speech? Let's look at a couple of verses. This is what Jesus said that our speech reveals about us. The good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. You listen to a person speak long enough, they talk long enough, you're going to see what's inside their heart. You hear venom coming out, that's what's inside the heart. You see, you, you, you hear all this, this, what James would talk about, how can, can sweet water and bitter water come? You see bitter stuff coming out, lies, anger, frustration, that's what's inside the heart. Your, your, your mouth reveals what's going on inside your heart. Talk to a person long enough and you'll begin to see their, their heart. Like, whoa, where's that coming from? Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Our speaking reveals maturity. And you've been around those kinds of people. You're... That never, it's very rare in Christian churches sometimes, that never say anything negative about another brother or sister. 
The kind of people the glass is always half full. There's always an opportunity for God to show his glory. The person that's that you've been around that always gives you hope, that you don't walk away dejected. Ephesians 4 says we say words that are for the edification of the other person. That gives, it's a timely word right for that moment. Those kinds of people. Always on top side. Why? Because they're always abounding in the work of the Lord. God's always working. I can't see what he's doing, but God's doing something. I don't understand what he's doing, but God's doing something. Those kinds of people. The rah-rah kind of guys. The go get them gipper songs. You know, that kind of guy. Notre Dame football kind of stuff. Go fight, 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 men. That kind of stuff. That's the kind of people that Christians ought to be. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I, I see what's best in another brother. Heard a brother say to me some years ago, and it has helped me tremendously. Always assume when you're dealing with a situation, there's at least one thing you don't know. And that one thing I don't know could be coloring my opinion in a very negative way. Always assume there's one thing I don't know. Now, he is being nice by saying there's only one thing I may not know. There's probably many more things that I don't know. Because I'm not a Gnostic. I don't have secret knowledge about situations. My speech gives away, gives away a ministry. What is a ministry like? What do we say about that ministry? One commentator says the true test of a man's spirituality is not his ability to speak as we are apt to think, but rather his ability to bridle his tongue. Sometimes it's not always about what we say, it's what we don't say. Can I bridle my tongue when I want to say something and I don't? So we don't only mature, I pray, in our attitudes if we're going to be other-centered. What are our attitudes about others? What is our, what, how do we speak about one another? Thirdly, I'm not sure why point number three didn't make it. This PowerPoint is driving me crazy. Maturing in our conduct. In our conduct. I'm going to go back and give you these verses. Matthew 7, verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are to treat others the way we want to be treated. We are to do good to all people, especially those in this room, those in the household of God, in the church at large. 1 Corinthians 13, which you've heard me say plenty of times, is not a marriage set of verses. Love believes all things, hopes all things, bears all things. That love, those love verses are for the church. Uh, We've talked about it before. It's cleverly located between, you're going to be finding this shocking, between 12 and 14. 13 is located before 12 and 14. Well, 12 and 14, he's talking about the spiritual gifts and how we get along in the church. And in the middle of that, he talks about love. What does he say? Though I talk, speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I am nothing. Though I give my body to be burned, I make all the sacrifices, I give away all my goods. If I don't have love, I am nothing. That's the church. That's who we are in our conduct. I'm dating myself here. Smokey Robinson would say what? I'm just a love machine. (laughs) And I don't work for nobody but you. That's what we are. We're love machines for God. 
that we ought to exude love in all that we are. The Corinthians weren't loving one another. They had terrible attitudes towards one another. Their speech towards one another, although we don't see that language, has to be very, very incredibly sinful. So if we're going to be the kind of church that we pray God is honored by or that God is glorified by, we've got to be a maturing body of believers that are focused on our conduct, our speech, and our attitudes towards one another and ought not be afraid when others examine those attitudes, speech, and conduct. Why, why would you say that about another brother? Why would you assume that about another sister? Why would you think that about him or her? Is that love? Is that coming from a place of harmony and joy? Being filled with the Spirit? Now, but let me pause here for a second. That doesn't mean we can't make honest critique and have tough conversations, brothers and sisters. But what it says is my motivation for having those conversations is still the good of another. Parents, why do you discipline your children? Because you hate them? I mean, come on, you guys remember, the kid's going to touch the stove. What do you do? Johnny, be really nice. Be really nice. I'd like you to consider not touching the stove. That wasn't Bill Smith. That wasn't my dad. It was whap Smacking your hands. Why? He wanted me to feel the sting to know, dude, the sting that you're feeling from the back of your hand is <laughs> it's, it's nothing compared to what it is if you touch that stove. He did that from a place of love because he, because he loves me. When we dialogue with each other and have difficult conversations, it's from a place of love. I want to see what's best for you, not because I hate you. So we've got to have a commitment to be God-centered, glorifying. We've got to have a commitment to be other-centered, maturing. The last part of our mission statement is going with Christ in his ministry of reconciliation. A commitment to be salvation-centered, going. Go back there to 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I'm sorry, the end of 10 and on into 11. Paul says there in verse 32, give no offense to either Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. He's got them all covered. Give no offense to anyone, Jews, Greeks, or anyone in the church. Just as I also please men in all things, not seeking my own profit. Paul's saying, what I'm asking you to do, I'm modeling. By the way, it's important that leadership model the things that we're talking about. It's important that we are glorifying God as a leadership team. It's important that we are maturing as a leadership team and that we are committed to going. I love Paul's words here. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many. Why, Paul, are you seeking the profit of the many? Why do you want to see Jews and Greeks and the church get along? Why do you want to see that? What is so important about that? So that they may be saved. It's about salvation, brothers and sisters. If we only do the first two things, we're not really even doing the first two things if we're not going. If we're not going and not loving neighbors, we're not glorifying God. It's a huge piece of this to go with Christ in his ministry of reconciliation. One of Jesus' first sermons. Repent. The kingdom of God is hand. Where does he hear that from? John the Baptist, his cousin. They were all on the same mission we who are other-centered, not self-centered, are being placed in a love mission, a mission to the world, to go to the world. Why? That they may be saved. If you got your Bibles just one chapter back. Look at what Paul says about himself in chapter 9, 
verse 19. And it gives us more insight to Paul's heart, I think, here. 9.19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. Why did you do that, Paul? Why would you make yourself a slave to all people? So that I may win more. So that I might see others saved. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law. Not, not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why do you do that, Paul? So that I might win those who are under law. To those who are weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak, I have become all things to all men to save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. What a beautiful, beautiful series of words there. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that others might get saved so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul's whole life's mission is to see others saved, to see to see others come to know Christ, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Christ was on a mission of reconciliation. The church of Christ, Bethel, must be participants, co-laborers with God in his ministry of reconciliation to the world. For far too long we have said, we've opened the doors of the church and said, come on in, you sinners, instead of going out and grabbing them by the hand and bringing them into the church, bringing them to Christ, which means going, it's active. Go ye therefore, make disciples. Go of all ethne, all nations of people. I'm always amazed, and you guys will probably, you won't find this strange. Like people say, we're going to have our vision statement. And you noticely, you don't, you, you see that you won't see it in here. You know, we will have a church, an ethnically diverse church. Like, okay, how are you going to make that happen? You can't make it happen. That could be a desire because that is part of our mission. We, we want to be welcoming to all people, all kinds of people. But you can't say, we will be ethnically diverse. Like what you, the guys with weapons are going to go out and. Get in there, ethnically diverse people. No, we, we, we've got enough now. We've got enough white people. Come on, brown. Come on, come on, you guys. Get, you can't make that happen. You can make it attractive to people as long as you want to, but we, we, we don't have to do all those things because what's going to attract people that God wants to attract is his grace. We love all people. I'm always amazed when people, you know, I meet people and say, yeah, I'm a pastor at Bethel, and I can see it. They don't say it. But I can see it computing in their mind. Like, <laughs> Bethel and Emmaus? Yeah, yeah, Bethel and Emmaus. Bethel on Elm Street in Emmaus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh great. How did that happen? Black pastor, black parishioner. That's the, such nonsense. It's such nonsense. It's about going and loving all people. Paul says, I became all things to all men, which means Paul had to humble himself. To the weak, I became weak. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the non-Jew who wasn't observing the law, I, I, I identified with them. And brothers and sisters, we've got to get ourselves out of that mold that we can't identify with people. We've got to train ourselves to identify with broken people. If you don't know we live in a broken world, brothers and sisters, you, you don't have to look far. Just get out into the neighborhood and you will see it. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Going to the world. Now, I just want to give you some really practical things. What does this look like practically? 
Number one, we're going to God in prayer for the lost. That, 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 that ought to, you know, shouldn't have to be stated, but, but we do. Do we really pray for our lost brothers and sisters? Do we really go to God in serious prayer? Well, if, if, if that's true, prayer meeting ought to be packed or at least you're praying with us at home. And I trust that you are for those who maybe you can't make it. That is a consistent cry of yours to see others saved. I think we can become content. One of the worst things that can happen with a church when it's experiencing transfer growth is that you're not hungry for the lost. Man, the pews are packed. What's just transfer growth from other churches? And guess what happens when they get angry with us? They'll transfer out somewhere else. Hopefully it's not for doctrine. We want to see growth of brand new believers getting saved. Why? The Bible says heaven rejoices. Angels rejoice at that. Our heavenly father is pleased with new believers coming to know Christ and he is pleased to use us. So we pray, we cry out. See, if we're arguing about food, we're not concerned about going. If we're arguing about whose camp I'm in, we're not going to be going. We're not going to be praying. We're going to be too busy fighting about this stuff over here. I ain't got time to go. I'm, I'm embattled in this over here. We are committed to going to God in prayer. Number one. That's the number one priority, brothers and sisters, is going to God in prayer. We need him. Absolutely need him. Number two, going to the world in love. Going to the world in love. You may say, well, why, why do we have to say that? Uh, because you, we've, we've seen caricatures of Christians who aren't always very loving, are we? Aren't we pretty quick to point out people's sin? I don't, I don't even know you, but boy, your sin... How about get to know a person? How about them help them understand? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. Well, how do they see your good works? How's your light going to shine if you're not around them? Put yourself in proximity of sinners. I promise you, you already are. But in a real way where you can really dialogue and show the love of Christ. And there's all kinds of things to do, brothers and sisters. Very practical, easy things to do. And I'm not saying you all are an extrovert like others around here. I, I really do, though. I was telling this to a brother. My wife, if she was here, she'll be here second service. Hang around, you can ask her. My natural default mode is introvert. I prefer to be at home with a book. I, I really, but the Lord, when he saved me, said, no. No, go. I have to pray about, ugh. It would be nice just to go to lunch with somebody. Just, I don't have to talk to the waitress and deal with people and just dealing with this guy. I pray, God, give me opportunity. Give me the courage to really share your love with people by maybe just saying a kind word to the waitress, maybe saying a kind word to the person that's waiting on you in the store. How are you today? Is there something I can pray for you about? I want to show my love to you. Well, what? What what do you mean? I just want to pray for you. Take the moment. Can I just pray for you right now? There's a girl. uh, Man, I just was... uh, I was going to McDonald's. I just wanted to eat. Honestly, I did. And, uh, and I'm waiting on a man, and, and, and I'm looking at her. And uh, she's a cutter. And if you know cutters, her arms were just, I mean, I couldn't, my, my mind was gone. Because I'm looking down. You know how you do. You look up. Da, 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 I see all this. And I look down. And because she's taking my order, and I'm just, and I see her. I'm just like, and then I start to kind of well up. And I'm just like, oh, 
like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I don't want to embarrass her. I, I, I don't know what to do here, Lord. What do I do? There's people. This is like lunch. What, what do I do? And I said, I'm just, I said, I, I said, are, are, looks like you're a cutter. Is, are you okay? And she, she, she kind of tried to pull it. She couldn't pull it down. But she, I said, I don't know what's going on with you, my sister. I don't, I, I don't have any clue. I don't know what your journey's been. But there's a God in heaven who can heal your scars. There's a God in heaven who will meet you right where you are. I don't know what it is. I don't pretend to know. But can I pray with you? And I'm not special, guys. That, doesn't make, I, I, that does not make me special. But when we see that kind of hurt and trauma in the world, which is abounding in the world, and we step outside ourselves and say, I'm going to display God's love through a prayer. I don't know. I never laid eyes on her before in my life after that. It doesn't even matter that I do. I pray that I planted a seed. I'm nothing special. You can do the same thing today. You can do the same thing with your life. But we got to go to the world in love. My word. Number three, go to the world in compassion. I tell people this all the time. I've, I've been around drug addicts. I've been around people who use drugs. No one who starts using drugs says, I want to be selling my body. No one who starts using drugs says, I, I, I want to be in, in the gutter. I, I, I want to steal from my family. I, I, I want to lose my teeth. I want to be disheveled. I, I want to have people in my world. Nobody starts that way. They think I can handle this. And what's important for us, Jesus came full of compassion for people. Remember the woman who is the sinner? Comes to him broken He forgives her her sins. We've got a world that is in desperate need of compassion from God's people. As we go to the world, we want to compassionately go. and We don't excuse their sin. That's not what I'm saying. But we try to help people understand by listening to them, by taking our time, by loving and praying for them, being compassionate. Number four, we go to the world with truth. The church is considered the pillar of truth. We go to the world and tell them the truth. I don't have to get a megaphone, a bullhorn. I don't have to do that. I want to live truth and express truth. That's what the church does. So you got to know truth. You got to be taught truth. You got to mature. You got to grow up so you understand the issues that are in hand. So that we can proclaim truth to the world. Lastly, go to the world with hope. What is hope? Andy Dufresne is told in Shawshank Redemption that hope's a, hope's a dangerous thing by Red, if you've watched that movie. It's a dangerous thing. Well, in the movie, hope is luck. Maybe I'll get out of prison, maybe I won't. It, it, it's luck. That's not the hope that we proclaim. The blessed hope that we proclaim is an anxious expectation. The, the, the hope that um, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean in on what? Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We give the world hope. This world doesn't think it can get any better. Do you know that? There are teenagers and young people all around who don't believe this world will ever get any better. You Christians haven't provided a very good answer. They need hope. Who's going to be a bearer of that hope? Who's going to bring that hope to them? How about you? You're going to give that hope to a lost and dying world? 
You're going to bring that light into darkness? What keeps us from doing this? Piper asked this question, and I'll close here. He's asking, why why don't we have this radical restoring love and hope? Why don't we have that, and why don't we want to share it with others? And he asked this question. Is one of the reasons that we make as little effort as we do in winning others the fact that we don't believe the wrath of God is coming? Do we believe that Jesus is going to return? How's he coming back for his second advent? He's coming back in his wrath. Do we believe that? If that's the case, brothers and sisters, we've got to be on mission of reconciliation to save, to see the saved lost. Christ ministry. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. That's our call. That's our aim. Bethel Church exists to be a more spirit-led community of believers, maturing believers, going with Christ in his ministry of reconciliation to the world. That's all our collective responsibility. Glorifying, maturing, and going. Let's pray together. Father, it's our prayer that we would really be about your mission Our mission statement is not antithetical to the scriptures. It's in line with what your word says. Lord, that doesn't make us unique. We are attempting to do what the Corinthians were called to do, what the Ephesians were called to do. And Father, it's our prayer that we would truly be, could we say, we must be about our Father's business. We must be about our Father's mission to the world. Lord, we seek to do that for God's glory alone. But we don't want to point people to us. We want to point them to a Savior, the only Savior who has come into the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has rescued us. And Lord, we would say and pray that all the world would know that. All those who in our sphere of influence would know that, would come to know that through our witness, through our proclamation, through our lives, through our obedience. Oh, Lord, would you do that for your namesake? Would you do that for your glory? We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.